Faith FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. And a special shout-out this morning to all those listening in 4th, Tasmania on 87.8, Lake Kathy in New South Wales on 87.6, and Carnarvon, Western Australia on 88.0. You! Shout-out awesome. those places. Yes. Uh-huh. You're going camping tomorrow. I am. Well, it's more like, it's more, it's not like camping. It's like a camp. Like we're staying in a location with like cabins and do activities and that kind of thing. Okay. So you're not going camping. You're going somewhere else. That's right. It's, it's, it's not camping. It's not even glamping because glamping, you bring your own stuff. This is like a camp basically. But yeah, it's a camp for my church. We're all getting together with a bunch of people and staying up in a place called Tali and hanging out and doing activities and reading the Bible. And I am super duper looking forward to it. Like, uh, that it's, sounds amazing. It's like one of the highlights of our year, the church camp. We invite people from all over the place, uh, from all different backgrounds, and they come along and we spend time together. And so, yeah, praise God. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. What are you doing this weekend, Lyle? Oh, working on the house. Oh, just getting it done. Yes. That, that's Big weekend awesome. coming up. What, what are you trying to do? Lots of plastering. Oh, lots of sanding, lots of dust. Oh, yikes. Yes. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I, I, I think, I, can I come to your church camp? Yeah, just cut. Just, no, I think, just I, skip. I think I Let producer Shell do the maintenance. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to have some more positively different news. Before we do, we're going to have our first clue for our quiz. Okay. Jesus told a story of a persistent friend who knocked on the door late at night to borrow something. What did he want to borrow? 0491-064-669 is the number to call a text. Again, this is a parable of that Jesus was telling about this friend of this person who came late at night and they're knocking on the door trying to borrow something. What did he want to borrow? 0491-064-669. And our prizes for this week, which will be drawn out tomorrow, are key words of the Christian faith. I have a future and he comes by Reinder Bruinsma. Amazing, awesome books that you can get your hands on. But again, that question was, Jesus told a persist a story of a persistent uh, friend who knocked on the door late at night to borrow something. What did he want to borrow? 0491-064-669. All right, let's have some positively different news this morning. Lawson, what have you got for us? Lyle, I have positively different news in the area of youth crime, which is something that we rarely get positive news about it just seems like it's not going well but a a statistic has just come out this is from the united states that since 1994 this was you know a a consummation of all of this different research that has been done from 1994 to 2020 youth crimes so crimes committed by people under the age of 18 have fallen 78 percent Wow. Yeah. That 78%. 78%. 
That is amazing. It's incredible. Now, crime in other age demographics have very much held steady or increased. But youth crime is youth dropping crime. through the floor. Dramatically. That is so good. Uh, That's one of the best positively different news stories we've had here on this show. Oh, man, it's it's incredible. Like, this data comes from the FBI, and they just release, you know, all the different ways in which this dropped. Even in, so in 2020, which was a pretty remarkable year for people getting arrested, this statistic includes 2020 as, as well in the United States. So what's the drop? Yeah, go ahead. So, so we see a 78% since 1944, but even... 1994, but even from 2019 to 2020, there was a 38% drop in youth crime between just those two years. Yes. So, which is, again, remarkable. I wonder whether it's, I'm I'm wondering what the driving force behind this is. And and I'm going to theorize here for a second, and then you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, or maybe your story doesn't have the details in it, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I'm wondering whether it is that young people are so much more tech-savvy and they are so much... They have such a greater understanding of how much less privacy than they ever had before, that they, they ever had before, and so it becomes a deterrent because it's, like, so much e- more easily caught. I would say it's this, and this is something that the article gets at, a substantial amount of... A substantially more amount of help and rehabilitation goes towards the youth than those in other age demographics. I think really? in, in the jail system, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm, is certain mm-hmm. levels of support and help that goes. Yes. But for particularly for people under the age of 17, 17 and under... They work hard to rehabilitate them because right. they are still so much more moldable at that age. That's right. And I feel as though... Yeah, and, and this is something that the, the article gets at as well, basically just saying that since 1994, there has been lots of work done to reform juvenile detention, where instead of doling out large sentences to these young people, that would typically you'd get if you're an adult, uh, in, they forego those instead to, yeah, to rehabilitate them. And, and this is something that programs. I've come across with um, a number of people who run rehabilitation programs and they just tell me straight out, you know, if they are under the age of 20, we can work with them. Uh, if they are over the age of 25, we don't even try mm. because it's just too hard. And, and, and the numbers are just so ridiculously low of success that there's like, no, we focus on the area in which we can actually make a difference. Mm. Dude, you know, another amazing thing to come out about this statistic, and I think, again, because the thought is, wait, is crime then in the United States overall just dropping? And unfortunately, the answer is no. So then it must be increasing amongst the older generations. That's right. We saw, essentially, uh, in 2010, youth arrests made up 14% of the total arrests. So arrests of people under the age of 18 made up of 14% of total arrests in the United States which in 2020, it only made up 7%. Okay, so the other question is this. Is this being driven by the judiciary? Mm. So, for instance, if uh, the, if you've got a judiciary that just refuses to hand out penalties to um, underage minors, then the police aren't going to bother arresting them. Mm. So if it's, driven, if it's based around arrest figures, it may not be based around crime. It may be based around arrest figures, which is two totally different things. Mm. But simultaneously... In 2019 and 2020, 
2019 and 2020, murder arrests amongst adults rose by like 14%. Oof. Uh, that's big. Which is wild, whilst at the same time amongst young people, amongst youth, dropping. That's interesting because when it comes to murder, that that's is something right. you will get arrested for. That's right. We're not talking about something trivial here. No, not at all. This is a crime that is arrestable no matter what age. Yes. And, and I they will th- track it down and they will find you and they will throw you in jail. That's right. And so I think what we can see here is, yeah, the United States is in a bad way in terms of, as we said, people, <laughs> adults, and crime is definitely persisting there. But because of the work that has been done in the rehabilitation space, particularly for young people and the fact that they're more moldable, the, since 1994, the statistics have shown that it has dramatically decreased. So this is good news. This is good news it's because exceptionally good news. If you have less child criminals, you have less adult criminals, and so hopefully, eventually, we see a run-on effect of this. Because at the moment, we're not. As I've said, the, the a number of arrests for adults have increased in various areas. Uh, but hopefully, we see a run-on effect of this, and arre- like arrest and crime just dropping in general. And the reason it uses the the statistic of arrests is because it's ultimately like people can commit crimes and and get get off of them at the end, um, or people can commit crimes and end up going to jail. But I think arrest is a good de- like a good baseline as to how much perceived crime is going on in a community. Yes, right. Uh, because the the figure of people actually being prosecuted can be a lot different. But it's like, you know, how much are the police responding to complaints and calls and having to get out there and how much, you know, are they responding to crime? And and it just shows that, uh, yeah, amongst the youth, it's happening less and less and less. In fact, 78% less. That is really wild. You have have shocked me with that and I'm so pleased to hear it. Yeah, so... Praise God. Praise God. And I guess this is an area... Dude, the youth is an area that we need to pray for. Yes, These we do. Need yes, help. we do. And uh, not only can we pray that, hey, like it's fantastic that youth arrests have dropped, but that also they can be reached with the message of Christ because it is young people who... Like, I truly... They're the most as open. Cliche, as the most cliche open. as it is, young people, yeah, they're the most open and they're the future. Yes. And we need to be reaching young people with the message of Christ as well, which will definitely lead to a drop in crime statistic. If they're met with the message of Christ, if they accept it and they follow Jesus, they will definitely, it'll be led to less murders and less of those things. Now, obviously, we can see the direction that our world's going, and in terms of arrests for Christians, potentially that could increase. But, hey, let's uh, let's lead these uh, young people to Christ. Oh, I only have a minute left. I wanted to talk about another story I have here that's actually about some archi- uh, some architecture i could say that's being re brought back to the surface brought back to the light and being used uh, around the world in the area of cooling uh, because cooling air conditioning is uh, like not only cooling but heating air it's con- like the worst thing there is for the environment that's right it, it is the biggest emitter of co2 and it's using all of our energy and all of our coal now they have recently different architectural firms around the world have been adopting the medo persian method of cooling ah oh, which yes. is super cool they basically they put up this big tower uh-huh. Wind blows into it it catches all the dust from the wind but then because of the density of the air 
cold air being more dense than warm air, it shoots the air down, the cold air down, the breeze down yes. into the house yes. and around the house and it cools down the house. So a number of firms around the world are adopting this technology to uh, use it. It was used in Medo-Persian palaces back in the day. Yeah, that's right. I thought Fantastic. this was so cool. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Uh, we're about to have some more serious news here this morning. Before we do, though, we've got another question for our quiz. Let's see if you can answer this one. The Son of Man in John's Revelation vision had feet like bronze that seemed to glow as if in what? So, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. You know, the answer, you can win keywords to the Christ- of the Christian faith, I Have a Future and He Comes, by Rainda Bruinsma. Amazing, awesome books, all about how we can grow in our relationship with Christ and how Christ relates to us. But again, that question was, the Son of Man in John's Revelation vision had feet like bronze that seemed to glow as if they were in what zero four nine one zero six four six six nine? Okay, let's talk about some more serious news here this morning. We're going to talk about a uh, an FBI raid. Yeah, uh, this one's not on Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> this one is on uh, Mark Hook, who is an anti porn advocate in the United States. Now, you might wonder, well, obviously, if there's an FBI raid, then there's going to be, you know, some criminal activity. We're going to come to that and what they were actually raiding him for. But he's the founder and president of The King's Men. Mm. Uh, promotes healing for victims of pornography and advocates and promotes Christian virtues amongst men in the United States and in Europe. Mm. He's also a pro-life author and a father of seven. Oh, Wow. He. Okay, so yeah, he's he's out there going for it. He's getting it done. Um, one of the things that he does part, as a volunteer kind of thing once a week is he provides free sidewalk counselling, mm. um, and this is for people who are considering having abortions. Mm. And so, yeah, that's part of his pro-life advocacy and so forth. And uh, for several weeks he took his 12-year-old son with him as he was doing this, you know, go to work with your dad kind of day. Mm. Uh, I think we've all done that from time to time who have had children. It's always an awesome thing to be able to do. And uh, there was a, um, a an abortion escort person there who started to harass the kid. So ignored the father and just focused in on the kid mm. and was harassing the kid and was calling, saying, you know, your dad's a fag and all kinds of really, really terrible stuff. Wow. In fact, that is the only one that, and I probably shouldn't have read that one on air, but the rest of them are way too vulgar to, to wow. read on air. And the father just informed the guy, you don't have permission to speak to my son, who is a minor. Yeah. Now, of course, um, a child carer has the right to uh, restrict access to that child. Mm-hmm. And so the father legally restricted access to the child from this individual and says, no, you, this child is a minor. You can have no access to this child. You cannot communicate with this child. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's perfectly within his legal rights to do so. That made absolutely no difference. This advocate kept um, being very, very abusive, verbally abusive, until he got right into his child's personal space. Mm. And when he got into his child's personal space, the father decided, yep, that's a safety issue, and shoved him. Mm. And he fell on his backside. Mm. And that was just what he was waiting for, so then he went and sued. Classic. Now, the reason that he sued was because there was, you know, if you, in civil court, there is a much lower standard of evidence required than in criminal court. Sure. So rather than being charged with assault, he sued. Mm-hmm. 
And even in that very, very low standard of proof required in civil court, the judge just threw it out. That's awesome. <laughs> just like, this is the yes, most ridiculous yes. thing ever. Thank you, judge, for allowing people to defend their kids. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like... Of course. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, talk about disparity of force. You're stepping into a situation where there is a major disparity of force and you're protecting a 12-year-old kid <laughs> Dude, You're trying to, like, front up to a literal child and then you get pushed and you're like, oh, that's it. I'm, <laughs> take, I'm taking you down. Wow. Uh, somebody obviously didn't know the law. Anyway, this was picked up by the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. Department of Justice is obviously FBI. Mm-hmm. And so at 7.30 in the morning, 30 agents arrived outside of his heart, outside of his vehicle. 15 vehicles swarmed the property. This was 7.05 a.m. Um, they surrounded the house. A- agents aimed their weapons at the house from firing positions, pounding on the door and screaming for them to open the door. Mm-hmm. So before opening the door, he tried to calm them down and said, look, please, I'm going to open the door, but please, my children are home. I have seven babies in the house. But they just kept pounding and screaming. Mm -hmm. And so he opened the door and had a bunch of rifles pointed in his face. Mm -hmm. And they came in. They ordered the kids upstairs. Obviously, the staircase is open, so all the kids are gathered at the top of the stairs. They're all watching this happen. It's pretty traumatic stuff. Mm. Um, And they asked him, you know, are you going to arrest me? And they're like, yes. And they're like, do you have an arrest warrant? They're like, no, we don't care. We're going to arrest you anyway. They arrested him anyway. And, of course, then they ended up with no nothing to charge him with because he'd already been thrown out of court. But when you think about this response, okay, so here's a guy who's doing a lot of good in his community. He is a Christian. He is, you know, speaking up about some really important social issues. Wow. Um, he's running an anti-pornography organisation. That's his main job. He's a counsellor. Mm. Um, he has no criminal record. A SWAT team. Okay, so let's think about a SWAT team. When do you call out a SWAT team? Uh, when there's, like, immediate danger. Okay, you call out a SWAT team in a hostage or a siege situation mm-hmm. um, where the person is a known criminal who has a history of being armed and being dangerous to the police. Mm. Okay, so your general purpose police in the United States, if it cannot be handled with... Uh, the weapons that they have, and, and, and they're going to carry uh, batons, tasers, pepper spray, sidearms, patrol carbines, and uh, shotguns. Those, mm. those are the weapons that a, a, a general-purpose police will carry in the United States. If it can't be handled with those, they will call in the SWAT team who will arrive fully armoured, wearing full-body armour in armoured vehicles. That's right. And heavy weapons. Yeah. Okay, and this is against somebody who might be, you know, a, a barricaded themselves in the house, and, and and they know that you know he's got a, a big long rap sheet, and he's been violent before, and there is absolute potential that he's going to crit, commit, you know, really serious violence yeah. that cannot be handled by your general purpose police. That's right. The first responders to a burglary is a patrol cruiser. That's right. Like with. And in the US, they're pretty heavily armed. Yeah, that's right. But like a single patrol cruiser, they're that's like right. like a call gets made, burglary. They might send out two. Yes, and then and then if they arrive on the scene and they assess it to be like armed robbery, 
then they'll send the SWAT. Well, they will only send the SWAT in if they are able to contain it because if the guy you know makes a run for it, they're obviously going to chase him down with those patrol cruisers. That's right. They will only send the SWAT team in if he barricades himself inside the house. Yeah, they'll right. back off, contain the situation, they won't leave, they won't let him to escape, but they all back off and wait until the SWAT arrives. That's what mm. SWAT is for. Yeah. <laughs> this guy gets the SWAT treatment and, of course, no charges. Yeah. It was just the Department of Justice like, yeah, this guy's um, campaigning against abortion and pornography, so let's just yeah take him down. So that's my question. Was this just to scare the guy? In March, the FBI rounded up 10 Christian pro-life acti- activists with SWAT teams. Uh, a video of one of those raids... Uh, shows armed agents holding pro-lifers at gunpoint, ordering them to put their hands up, drop to their knees, scoot backwards out the front door uh, in the middle of the night. And, of course, the pro-lifers are you know, respectful and compliant throughout the whole thing. No charges from any of these situations have been upheld. And so it's becoming a bit of a, a, bit of a thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge supporter of the police force, and uh, I think we, you know... Yeah, love bleeds blue. But when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to using the police to persecute innocent people because of their political views, that because will be no. Let me not say because of their political views, because of their religious views. Yeah, that's the issue right yeah. there. Do you know what swatting is, Lyle? Swatting. Yeah. Do you know what that is? When you swat a fly. No. So basically, this is something that's become kind of common. Uh, so there will be like famous like streamers or whatever running an event online or streaming from their house and they'll get like docked to like someone will find out what their address is and then they'll call the local police station and say this person such and such is you know barricaded up in their room and then they get them to send a SWAT team out there you know on false on you know false um False pretenses and whatnot. This is this is, just sounds like the it, it DOJ. Reeks of, it reeks of swatting, doesn't the it? The DOJ swatting pro-lifers and Christians because they don't like their views. It, it just reeks of it, doesn't it? Oh, wow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We have an interview with Sven Erstring coming up right after this. But before we get into it, we are going to have another question for the quiz. That question is, what was the name of Moses' mum? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you'll go into the draw to win our prizes by Reinder Bruinsma. But again, that was, what was the name of Moses' mum? Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. Sven Erstring, who comes on once a month to talk about apologetics and arguments for God. This morning, Dr. Sven Erstring is going to be asking the question, how much evidence we do we need? Dr. Erstring, welcome to the show. Good morning. Well, it's really good to be back on the show with you today. Okay, so how much evidence do we need to for the existence of God? Well, this is a really significant question. Lyle. And one of the things that people often will say, people who are maybe more skeptical um, or who don't even believe in God, who are atheists, what they'll say is this, you know, uh, Sven, Lyle, um, you are making some extraordinary claims here. And if you are going to actually substantiate those claims, if you're going to 
you know, going to get me to, to believe in them, if I'm a skeptical person, then what I'm going to say to you is this, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So the bigger the claim, the more evidence you're going to have to bring to the, to the table. And, and what are we talking about? We're talking about, first of all, that there's a God behind the whole universe, a, a intelligent mind that, that created this whole universe. That's the first extraordinary claim. But then I guess another one would be, you know, the fact that, that Jesus died on the cross and rose back to life. That's another extraordinary claim. So the skeptic would say, Lyle, that these are, these are big claims. You, we need to provide masses amounts of evidence, extraordinary evidence to actually prove that, uh, they're, they're true. Okay, so do we have that extraordinary evidence? I mean, what you say is absolutely correct. They are big claims, but what evidence do we have to come back with? And, you know, I guess the question that goes through my mind, are there things that people believe in with less evidence and yet are still totally convinced of and is generally accepted, you know, throughout the scientific community? Yeah, for for sure, for sure. There's many things that, that we believe where sometimes we don't even really have a lot of evidence. We only have a, you know, kind of, it's a fairly lightweight, whereas we still got, believe those, those things. You could look at things like the Big Bang, for example. If you actually look at some of the evidence, you go like, well, I don't know whether that, that's actually true, for, for example. But there's another aspect to it as well, Lyle, and that is this, is that there's a practical aspect to believe in God. So, so we'll come back to the, the evidence. But, but if we look at the practical aspect, there was a guy called Pascal, and, and he uh, was a person that, that uh, looked at this and he said, I'm going to compare what would be the result if I believe in God and if I don't. If God exists and I believe in him, then I'll get eternal life. I'll get heaven on earth, as we might say. I will get an incredible reward. But if I, if I don't believe in God and he does exist, then I've lost out massively. I've lost it all, shall I say. Mm. But then on the other hand, if I believe in God and it doesn't exist, well, I don't really lose out that much. And then the other option, of course, is in the Pascal's wages, we'd say, you know, if I don't believe in God and he doesn't exist, well, you know, everything ends in nothing anyway. So, what Pascal identified is that believing in God has a significant reward. So it actually makes more sense to, to believe in God, uh, no matter what the, the kind of outcome is, if you know what I mean, in terms of, um, the reward is great. So we should believe in God just from a purely probabilistic kind of point of view. So that's a very practical way of looking at it. It is really, and, and you know, when I look at that, I see you know so often we jump into things, that, and particularly as men, we tend to go for you know high risk, high reward kind of scenarios. But this is very low risk or no risk, with the possibility of a very high reward. Exactly, exactly. Putting your faith in God makes makes sense. So, so that's even before we get to the to the evidence. And so, I really want to encourage. Every one of you who are listening to, to our interview today to say, yes, well, there, there's incredible benefits. There are incredible eternal rewards for believing God, which would lead us to take this seriously. But then when we come to, to the, the evidence piece, you know, what, what is the evidence that God exists? Well, the reality is, uh, this Lyle is that in actual fact, 
all of the evidence around us in the world in which we live is powerful evidence for God. You know, the, the very fact that we're living in a universe that is, is just phenomenal, that is, you know, finely tuned for, for intelligent life, where we see very, very complex, intelligent beings like yourself, love. But, you know, the animals around us, all of this points us towards the existence of an intelligent creator. And we find this in the book of Romans, Romans in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So part of it is that people may say, hey, we need extraordinary evidence. But in, in actual fact, all of the evidence around us actually points us to God as a whole. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so sometimes we kind of, we're, we're looking for the little piece here, the little piece there, when the whole picture is actually pointing us to God. Now, our whole world is pointing us towards an intelligent creator. And so often it's not necessary that the evidence is lacking, but whether we are open and have the discernment to be able to see the evidence for what it is. I think this is a very, very important thing that we need to keep in mind, Lyle, when we, we talk about this question of how much evidence we need. Mm. So in other words, if we if we put the evidence that is out there for, because we, if we talk about two things that we have never seen, we have never seen God, we have never seen the Big Bang, and we compare the evidence for one with the evidence for the other, then it seems to me the evidence for God is massively outweighing the evidence for the Big Bang. Correct, correct, yes. So, so in terms of the evidence for believing in God, it is powerful. But there's many other things that we could, we could look at as well. You know, this is a, it's a, it's a really powerful list of reasons why we can believe in God, evidence for God. First of all, the universe had a beginning that's scientifically well accepted. Yes. Um, it's, it makes logical sense as well. But the fact that the universe had a beginning points us towards uh, the, uh, the reality that there is a, a powerful cause for the universe. Not only a powerful cause, but a powerful intelligent cause was conscious or is conscious and has the freedom to choose to create this world. That's really powerful evidence. So, so literally the entire universe is, is evidence for God. And then we move to, to the, the intelligently designed aspect of the universe, which is its fine tuning. And this is being demonstrated, you know, really significantly in the cosmological world. What what that means is uh, that the there's there's constants, there's like parameters uh, that that exist within the universe, uh, which need to be really set very carefully. Um, so it's a little bit like your your radio dial. You know, if you want to tune into Faith FM, you need to get that dial right. Otherwise, you're going to get static. Or another radio station, but for for the universe, that that precision uh, becomes unbelievably great. In order for us to exist, you and I to be talking right now on radio, for any of you listening right now, for you to be listening, the fine tuning of the universe is absolutely phenomenal, and and that points us towards an intelligent creator of the universe as well. Mm-hmm. Then we also can look at not only do we have the um, the universe, but there's there's a 
particular uh, realm, shall I say, a particular reality that exists for us as human beings, and that is the moral realm as well. Um, and and uh, deep within us, Lyle, is this sense that morality is important, is valuable, and is something to treasure and defend. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was sitting on a plane uh, recently, Lyle, uh, with, with this gentleman, and he was telling me how he grew up as a Catholic and, you know, um, was very actively part of it. But then, you know, just seeing the uh, the sexual abuse within um, within the institution has just turned him away. But the question is this: On what grounds do we have the the right or, or the um, ability to make a a moral judgment? Um, on those, uh, you know, in those situations. And, and atheists often forget where they got that morality from. You know, that they, they use it. It's like a tool that they use. And, um, but they, they forgot. They, they, they forgot they, that they got it from Bunnings or, or, you know, Mighty Ten or, or wherever they got it from. They're just using it. But as Christians, as people who believe in God, we need to say, okay, well, where did we get morality from? Where, where did we get the sense in which, you know, there, there is a standard of, of goodness, of, of justice, um, and it only makes sense if God exists as the, the, um, the source of goodness and morality. And, and so that, that very deep sense in each one of us is a powerful, is powerful evidence for, for God's um, as as well, yeah. Because the simple reality is that there are many creatures that have no sense of morality whatsoever at all, but they are successful as a species. So you don't need to have yeah. morality to be successful as a species, but we all do as humans. Yeah. Every single one of us, we have a morality that we cannot escape. Yes, correct, correct, and and so. That, that is something deeply embedded within our nature. So, so first of all, we've got the universe, the beginning of the universe, we've got the fine tuning of the universe, but then there's something special about us, um, which is, is really, um, you know, powerful evidence for God. So our morality. Then there's another really fascinating one too, Lyle, and that is our consciousness. And this is, this is really kind of deep, but, it, but it's really basic as well, because you and I, uh, at this very moment, we are conscious that we exist, um, that we're talking to somebody on radio. And for those of you listening to this interview, you're conscious that, that you exist and, and that you, um, you're listening to, to Lyle and myself have this conversation. But once again, the question is, where did we get that uh, consciousness from? And for philosophers and for you know, psychologists and neuroscientists, it's a it's a baffling idea. You know how how can a machine, how can a physical machine actually become conscious? It, it doesn't make sense within an atheistic world. But for if the the origin of the universe is the cause of the universe is conscious and intelligent is God, then our being conscious makes perfect sense. So so that's that's something. It's kind of as I said before, you know, when you say that, that we need extraordinary 
um, evidence for extraordinary claims. Well, the fact is, it's all around us. It's right here, right now, even as we think, even as we're conscious about, um, you know, discussing these very topics. Mm, absolutely. But there's, there's one other thing which is very, very important as well, um, Lyle, and that is this. You know, we can, we can talk about you know, these big ideas, you know, the, the origin of the universe, the fine tuning of the universe. We can talk about morality. We can, we can talk about, um, consciousness. And, and Lyle, as you'd know, I love all of them, but there's, a, there's another very, very beautiful reality, and that is this is that the God who is described in the Bible, who I believe in, is not only the, the creator of the universe, he's not only beyond the universe, but he's also present right now here with you and I um, and, and anybody listening as well. And, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is speaking to our hearts. The, the, the very presence of God is is a reality that we can experience right now. And and God is, is speaking to each one of us, and he's saying to us, I exist, and, and I'm inviting you to trust me, to come on a journey with me. Mm. And and so, you know, we, we could search the world for, for little pieces of evidence. We could search, you know, for, for particles or parameters or neon lights or, or, you know, whatever it may be. But but it is important to remember that that God is actually speaking to us right now. And and Lyle, the question is, how are you and I? How is anybody who's listening to us right now? How are you responding to God's voice speaking to you right now? Because God is present; He's real. And, and you know, in um, you know, just like I can can acknowledge that you exist because I'm talking with you, Lyle. I can also um, respond to the Holy Spirit. So I just want to to encourage anybody who's listening, I encourage you and myself as well, Lyle, that the the evidence for God is all around us and, in fact, is God himself. And, you know, when we respond to God, we have, we have um, an abundant life. We have an amazing life. And... And I just really want to, to encourage us. Let, let's respond to, to what God is, is sharing with us, what God is saying to us right now. Um, let's not, uh, kind of hold God at arm's length and just say, oh, I need more evidence. Let, let's respond to God and what he's saying to us right now, now, Lyle. Mm, absolutely. Doctors Van Erstring, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. And uh, certainly let's respond to God because it's as we experience God for ourselves, we have the greatest evidence for God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.